Hello everyone, this is the first episode of my new podcast, Hostess Stories. I'm Zaina and I'm very happy to have you here. In Hostess Stories, I embark on a global adventure where I have the privilege of sharing the incredible stories of the beautiful people I meet while traveling. In this episode, I will take you on a captivating journey through Mexico far beyond stereotypical images of sandy beaches or sipping margaritas. Did you know that Mexican cuisine is ranked as the third most popular in the world? But there's more to Mexico than the most watering dishes. Beyond its joyful and vibrant culture, Mexico confronts serious and complex issues that affect the lives of its people every day. Issues like poverty, violence, and the businesses of the cartels. I discovered in Mexico that rarely makes it onto postcards or Instagram feeds. These realities hit home, especially in the less touristy corners of Mexico. But what struck me the most during my journey was the determination of people who are taking incredible risks to cross the US-Mexican border. This is because of the lack of opportunities these people have in their own countries. So they are trying to chase the elusive American dream. They walk through deserts, they face dangerous animals, they navigate the daunting U.S. border control. In fact, just in July 2023, the U.S. Border Patrol recorded over 132,000 encounters with Latin Americans attempting this journey. Now, let me introduce you to someone who inspired me to start my own podcast. In a cozy hostel in Oaxaca City, I met my wonderful Mexican friend Roberto. After a shared dinner in the hostel kitchen, I asked him how he learned English so well, because at that time I hadn't met many English-speaking Mexicans. And that's when he shared his incredible journey of living in the U.S. as an undocumented migrant for half of his life. His story really touched my heart and I couldn't forget it as I continued my travels. So when I decided to start Hostel Stories, I asked Roberto if he'd like to be my first guest. He agreed and after a memorable photo shoot, we sat down basking in the golden rays of the setting sun, enjoying a red wine. And now, I invite you to join in in this beautiful chit-chat with Roberto as we dive into the heart and soul of Mexico, exploring his story of resilience, of hope and the pursuit of dreams in a land where the lines between joy and struggle blur. Yeah, let's celebrate and say thanks for our creativity. For our creativity. Yeah. So, salute. Mm, salute. I also want to thank you for being my inspiration to set up the podcast that I want to create. Because you were the person who was listening to me and was like, hey, Zena, like, you should create a podcast. And yeah, so I was thinking about it the and I always want to make a podcast about, you know, like the people that I meet while traveling because I meet so many, so many interesting people, so many even more interesting stories. And one of these stories that I heard 
was yours. Mm-hmm. And that was a story. I never forgot it, right? Like it was always in my mind because you did something that a lot of people are, they, they hear it maybe in their lives and they cannot relate to it. They don't know anyone who has experienced what you have experienced in your life. A lot of times I try to empathize. I try to put myself into your shoes and to live the life that you have. For me, it was, it's really crazy what you already experienced. You're 32. 32. And you told me like the half of your life, you didn't even live in Mexico. You just recently came to Mexico. And that was something really interesting to me. And then, of course, I asked you, what did you do the rest of your life? Or where have you spent your time? And especially, why is your English so good? Because all, most Mexican men or people I meet, they don't speak English really well. And your English is really good. And you told me, like, hey, I, I said half of my life in the States. Which is true. Which is true. So that means you arrived in the U.S. when you were 16, right? Correct. And how did you arrive to the U.S.? What was the way to get there? Well, that's a, it's quite a long story. <laughs> so I'm not going to go too deep but because we don't have a lot of time. You can go as deep as you want. So I... I grew up in a small town in Mexico, and it's in Oaxaca State. Uh, my family was poor, very poor. And there was some point where they would have a lot of money, and then they became poor again. So my real childhood from the since I was a baby, my parents had money. And up until when I was eight, six years old, uh, we became really poor, like extremely poor. Long story, my father lost his money for some crazy reasons and anyways. So I grew up poor since I was like six. So all the way up to I was like 16. And part of myself always wanted freedom. There was an inner fire within myself, freedom. Mm. And when I live with my parents, especially with my dad, I have a little complex because I live with my dad and my dad have a very strong personality. So he sometimes would kick me out because mm. I would listen to uh, his what, what he wanted me to do. I was living at his house. Mm. So basically what happened was that living at his, under his roof, I was being told what to do. And mm-hmm. I didn't like that from the mm-hmm. beginning of time. That was part of it. And then we also didn't have money and I started working when I was 12. But if I go back in time, I actually started working when I was six years old. But mm-hmm. that's another story as well. Uh, that was because my dad was in jail and and it was just me and my brothers and my mom and I was the oldest one. So I had to help my mom in a lot of ways mm-hmm. to help her to so that we can feed ourselves. And... Well, that doesn't matter. That happened. Then we went to when I turned 12. My dad was around already. and But then he was very pushy. Mm-hmm. He was very like... He didn't want me to stay at home, school, whatever. Like he didn't really push me to go to school. Anyhow, I was sleeping under his roof. And he would be too pushy for me to work. So I started working since I was 12. I was pushed to go to work. 
which I do not blame my dad. I mm-hmm. love my dad with all my heart and my soul. And I have no resentment. I have zero resentment. Mm-hmm. I actually love him mm-hmm. more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful and thankful that he was the way he was and the thing he pushed me to be. Mm-hmm. Now, when I turned 16, I started to be ambitious since I was 13, 14. Mm-hmm. I started to have, like, things in mind. I wanted to better myself and have money, have cars, all this kind of mentality. And there was one time where my dad said, okay, I'm going to go to the United States because he'd been there one time. Mm-hmm. And he said, you're going to come with me. But then at the time I was living, I was 16, I was 15, 16, mm-hmm. living in a town with my friends. I was having like a normal life with my friends. And I really, I truly enjoyed the time with my friends at the time. We would do a lot of things together. And he keeps saying that he's going to, I'm going to come with him one way or the other. So... At the time, for me, at the beginning, when he keeps saying that, it was like, oh, okay, I'm not going to listen to you. Mm-hmm. But the more he keeps saying mm-hmm. it, the more it started inherent the idea in my mind. Oh, okay. And then, here's the funny part. One night, I was sleeping. I don't remember how I went to go, but went to bed. But uh-huh. I was sleeping. There was like one big bed. It was me and my brother sleeping because we didn't have any more room to sleep. And so, I was sleeping there. And... I don't know why, but I start thinking. Mm-hmm. I think it was around 11 p.m. When I just start thinking, thinking about the universe, thinking about the the life, thinking about philosophy. I was philosophizing in my mind, and then the more time passed by, so already let's say 11, 12, then it came 1 p.m., 1 mm-hmm. a.m., then 12 a.m., 3 a.m., mm-hmm. and then when start when when it was around 3 p 3 a.m., I started like thinking, what if I listen to my dad? Oh wow! What if okay. I listen to my dad and go to the United States and make my dream come true, mm-hmm. which is buying a nice car, uh-huh. buying a lot of clothes for my brothers? I was thinking a lot of myself, but at the same time of my brothers because mm-hmm. I was the oldest one. So I was the one who was pushed to take care of my younger brothers. Mm-hmm. So I started thinking like, oh, what would it be if I only go there one year and work really hard mm-hmm. and then I come back and bring and have my car and then bring a lot of things, gifts for my brothers and give, them, mm-hmm. give these gifts to them and mm-hmm. give them money. Like I started dreaming, 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 thinking and imagining. The more I started thinking, the more I was imagining, mm-hmm. the more intense the feeling was in my wow. body. So it was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then, <laughs> and then it was four in the morning and then five in the morning. And I keep thinking and I keep thinking wow. and I'm completely away. Yeah. I'm totally away. And oh then when I started to hear the birds in mm-hmm. the morning, 5 a.m. And then I realized, wait, it's already like 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I have all this energy within me saying, wow, you need to go now. So like, <laughs> I, I feel like I needed to go wow. right there and there. Uh-huh. And then I have this urge to wake up my dad and say, let's go, right? Wow. Like, uh-huh. I got up, and then when I was around 6, and then my dad kind of started to wake up, and I was pushing my dad, dad, wake up, uh-huh. let's go. Like, I really oh want God. to go to the United States. Yeah. And here's the thing, because we, we, we came from a poor um, town, 
obviously it's a country that's not no successful countries in the world but I came from a poor family, so we didn't have a lot of education. And the only way that we could go to the United States is to cross on the border, meaning mm. undocumented. And that was the only way we could see. I mean, it's different now because now I have different mind, different view. Mm. But at the time, I didn't know any better. So the only way to come to the United States was crossing the border. That was the only thing that I could see. Illegally, right? Exactly. At the time. Yeah. And so, that said... I asked my dad, like, how was the way, where the sooner that we mm-hmm. can go? And so I pushed my dad way hardcore mm-hmm. to figure out a way so that we can mm-hmm. go, like, as soon as is possible. And I think within the mm-hmm. next two months, mm-hmm. uh, he figured out a way because I oh. keep pushing him all the way. You really wanted to go, yeah. I was just on fire. Uh-huh. I was on fire. Like, I just had so much energy. Continuing, there was a point where... <laughs> There was a part, the hardest part in the world. And I never shared this, actually. I never shared it to, to really anyone. The hardest part for me at that time was when I said goodbye to my brothers and mm-hmm. to my mom. Mm-hmm. So I remember, I actually have a video of this because mm-hmm. my dad bought a camera. And he recorded. I didn't know this until like a few years later that I came back. Really? And, like, yeah. I remember like he recorded the video mm-hmm. like right when I'm packing my stuff and I'm saying goodbye to my brothers. And I don't know. It's, it's, it's another story. So I, that was the hardest <coughs> part to say goodbye to my, my sister, my brothers, my mom. But here's the hardest and the most painful feeling in the world that I will never forget mm-hmm. was. When when we went to the bus station and my mom was there and then we get into the van and then I don't know for some reason it happened to be that I had to go on the back seat all the way in the back seat and then you have this big window. And as I'm leaving the the station, my mom is there just observing mm-hmm. the van and I I keep looking back as as the the van taking off, I keep looking back to my mom and I can oh see in her eyes. And then I start crying so hard. <laughs> and then my my dad keeps saying, it's okay, don't, mm-hmm. don't worry, don't worry. It's mm-hmm. okay. No te preocupes, hijo. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. And and then there's the curve. Mm-hmm. And then that was it. I, I didn't see my mom then. Oh my God. For many, many years. <clears throat> what did you think when you saw your mom? Was there anything in your mind specifically? I wasn't thinking. I was more like feeling. Okay. I was, there was not any thinking. It was more like crying and feeling sad as hell. Mm-hmm. I could not explain what I felt, but it was, I mean, I've never been away from my mom or my, mm-hmm. my family kind of. And so it was very, very challenging. Um, it was, I was in a sad mode feeling. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, that was the most challenging. And so, then the, we, we went to the state, to the city of Oaxaca, and then to the Mexico City, and then we continue, just continue going all the way to the north side. And then we have to cross the border, which I was <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> that was fucking hilarious. What happened? Because I see it as an adventure uh-huh. now, please. But there was these guys, they call it the polleros, or they, they call it, yeah, the polleros, I think they call it. Mm-hmm. Or coyotes, I think. Something like that. What's that? 
It's like the guy who's gonna take you to the mm -hmm. United States. Like the guide. Oh, right. Yes. The illegal guy. The, yes. Okay. Those guys is gonna take mm -hmm. you to the other side. Mm -hmm. So, my dad trusted these guys. There were two guys that he trusted. Oh my mm -hmm. God, two coyotes? Yes. Uh -huh. Because he said that they have helped other guys that he knew. Mm -hmm. And they were, he was recommended to these guys. And so, the first day we started walking. We're supposed to work three days. I think not two days. Walk and then two days? To work on the desert. Oh my God. So, <laughs> we grab our pack, like we were ready, we have ready things, like our food and everything. We have a backpack, uh -huh. bottle of water, blah, blah, blah. And we start crossing. I remember when the first time we, we started, there was a car that mm -hmm. we jumped in and it was um, in the daytime, in the morning. And he dropped us into some, we dropped like 25, 30 minutes from a town. I don't remember the town. And he dropped us to the, just, I don't know where. No, we, I could, I keep seeing like, okay, it's time to, for us to walk. So when we live in the town, I started getting closer to the place we needed to walk. And I continue seeing like, the further we're getting away from the town, the closer it feels to be isolated from society kind of thing. Okay. Because then, you know, you're getting closer and you continue, you're going to walk for a few days and then, mm -hmm. Not just that, but there's not going to be nothing there. It's like absolutely nothing. And so they drop us there and I was like, fuck, it's hot. Mm -hmm. And I'm carrying this backpack on me. Like I, part of me didn't want to go mm -hmm. because I saw from the beginning, this is going to be hard. We, uh, we started walking and walking. We kind of have, have a chat, talking one another, continue walking, continue walking. Mm -hmm. And so we keep walking. Then the day came out like a night fall and we had to find a place to stay. There was nothing there. We've really, been walking about eight hours or so. The guy said that there are snakes. So we had to put something like, um, they use something. They use, uh, garlic mm -hmm. to around our feet so that these snakes kind of go away because this makes the snakes feel disgusted by it and they don't come close to you. Otherwise, they will bite you. I mean, if they kind of come around, it could bite you. Or oh, if you yeah. step on them, it could bite you. So you had your feet full of garlic? Yeah, we put garlic on our feet so uh -huh. that we could... So that when we sleep, we can sleep comfortably. Like we don't have to worry about snakes. Because there's mm -hmm. a lot of snakes. There's rare snakes over there because it's a fucking desert. Mm -hmm. Anyways. So, then I came out... And then we found a place, it was this rocky place. It was, it was, it was like shitty. Like it was <laughs> just few plants and, uh, rocks all over. Uh, and we could, couldn't find anywhere else. So we decided we wanted to stay here. It was about 7 p.m. So mm -hmm. something like that. And then the coyote said, okay, we're going to get up early in the morning at 6 a.m. So let's rest, let's go sleep, and then tomorrow we get mm -hmm. up. So the coyote was walking with you all the way. Yeah, but you, the, the story is not in here yet. Okay, well. It's fine in here. But okay, so continue walking. Uh -huh. But on the next morning we get up, right? And then we continue walking for one more day. All day long. We continue. It was hot as hell. We ran out of water at the end, almost at the end oh, of the day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have any more water, so we were thinking, like, where are we going to get the water now? So, we continue walking. We stop a place where we can some, find some shadow to eat on this shitty rock mm -hmm. place. And 
uh, there's just nothing, completely nothing there. So we sat there, eat, uh, have the little bit of last water that we had, and we waiting for the next night to fall. So the, the night fall again, we found another place to stay. It was dry, it was isolated from everything. It was very little plants you could see around. We could see some lizard around. And then we could, we saw some wild pigs, big mm-hmm. wild pigs. And when we saw them, we asked them like, if it's safe to be around this animal. And then mm-hmm. he said, yeah, it's safe as long as you don't touch them because they can be aggressive. So, oh, obviously, it's obvious that I did not sleep all night because yeah. these both nights I did not sleep. Uh-huh. Because one, I was worried about my dad. Like I wanted, like I was caring about him. Like I didn't want nothing to happen to him. So I was scared, like maybe a snake could bite him mm-hmm. or something. I was more worried about him. I don't know if he was worried about me. He's more, <laughs> he's, he really don't care much, but I was like more kind of caring in that way. Yeah. Mentally. And the next day, the same thing. So, uh, I didn't sleep. It was like, you kind of fall asleep and then you wake up, fall asleep and you wake up. Mm-hmm. Anyways, next morning we got up and then we continue walking and around six, 6 a.m. or something. And then we continue walking. And then we end up with this... We kind of saw it from far away, like this big kind of hole. But it was like huge hole. Mm-hmm. And then we... In looked, the ground? Yeah, it was like... And then here's why. Because when we, we got closer, uh-huh. it was a canyon. It was a big canyon. Okay. And with water, like a, like the Grand Canyon, like a, the... Canyon de Sumidero Hidden Chapels. And it's this huge river. And then we saw that. We're like, oh, man. We're not, we're, we're not going to cross that river. Fun. How are we going to cross that? Uh-huh. So we figured out a way to go down to see what we can do. And the coyote guys, mm-hmm. they said, we're going to cross the river. And we said, there's no way we're going to cross. How, how are we going to cross this huge river? I don't mm-hmm. know. It's like... Maybe more than, oh man, more than 100, 200 meters wide. Wow. So, I wouldn't, and I didn't know how to swim. My dad didn't know how to swim. So, these guys, they said, well, we're going to try to cross it. If you guys want to stay, you can stay, but we're going to cross it. And we're like, what the fuck? No way. How are we going to do this? Like, uh-huh. you're the one who's taking us. Exactly. Anyhow. These motherfuckers didn't care, and they left. Without you? Yes. Uh, there was me, my dad, and this other guy who who, who stayed. We said, we said, we're not going to cross. Mm-hmm. There's no way. And so we decided to stay. And I sat there. It was 12 p.m. Mm-hmm. Hot as fuck. I'm sitting there. And my dad sat around just thinking what he's going to do. And what I wasn't even thinking. I was just like, fuck. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. I want to go home. Like, I really... I was away from everything. We're isolated from literally everything. Like, mm-hmm. there's no one around. And we ran out of water. There's no food. And so, I was sitting there, contemplating, crying. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was not exactly crying, but I was in that mode of, like, oh, man, I'm giving up everything. I feel like a little girl right now. Yeah. And not to say that little girls are, like, uh, crab babies, but I felt very vulnerable and... We probably not. Yes. Very, very weak. And then, suddenly we heard like a, like a model. Like, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And then we were standing there, and then we were like, wait, there's something, something uh-huh. coming. And then we kind of stayed quiet, <clears throat> sort of listen to what happened, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then it sounded like we see this boat coming. A boat? In the middle of the, the ocean, this uh, big, big, big river. river. And then they saw us, uh-huh. and they came to the direction that we were. No way. And I was like, oh, my God, man. <laughs> this is like my oh day. My my day. Like, I felt like so happy. Uh-huh. So like, oh, man, I said to my dad, you know what, fuck this. I'm going back home. <laughs> oh I said to my dad, let's go home. Let's just uh-huh. fuck this shit. And so the, this mm. uh, boat came to us. And there was this, um, they call it uh, the ice. Mm-hmm. People who take care of the border. And they were dressing like the boat looked this gray color and they have the symbol of the eyes and they were dressing like a, the eyes people. They were the border patrols mm-hmm. and they came to us and I was just like, I'm just going to ask them to just take me home. That's all I want right now. That's all I want. Bring me back. Uh-huh. Yeah, just take me back home, man. And I'm, I'm happy. Uh-huh. And then I asked him that and then he, well, they say, Hey, what are you guys doing here? Uh, but he said in Spanish, actually, he said, ¿Qué están haciendo aquí? And then we, and then I said, I just want to go home. <laughs> I just want to go home now. <laughs> Literally, that's what I said. Like, that was the first thing that came out to my uh-huh. mind. Like, solamente quiero, llévame para México. Like, just take me back to Mexico. That's uh-huh. all I said. And then he looked at me. And he kind of was quiet. Kind of, I could see in his eyes, like, Poor guy, poor, 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 like, he, I could see in this guy, his he age, he's like, yeah, he felt like sad, like, here's why, mm-hmm. because he said, well, you're in your own country, <laughs> and then, and then when he said that, we were like, what the fuck, we have been walking for two days uh-huh. and two nights, oh, almost three days, and we're still within Mexico. I thought we were getting closer to just get to the other side. But we were still so far away. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. But the guy who guided us, he didn't know. Yeah. Anyways, so he said, I cannot take you back mm-hmm. because you're already in your own country. But I can <laughs> help you. He said, I can give you uh, some uh, bars that are proteins that can help you to survive for a bit. Mm-hmm. But I cannot help you. I cannot take you back because you're already in your country. I cannot. Mm-hmm. If you were in the other side of the river, then I would have taken you to the patrol and then from patrol back to Mexico. Mm-hmm. But not here. So he said, then we asked, like, how can we get back home? And he said, the only way is to find somebody. Some there are, Sometimes there are fishers. He said, that they come here, they're from Mexico. They come to fish here. And then they go back to their town. And so well, that kind of gave us like a little hope because we, I thought we were lost, like, and we were really lost. Imagine mm-hmm. being walk, walking about, I don't know, two, 16, 24 hours, uh, away, two nights, three days away from everything. You don't know anything. You're just in the mm-hmm. middle of nowhere. You just don't know where you are. Like that was the feeling of uncertainty. And that kind of gave us a little peace when he said, Oh, uh, there's some fish and you just have to wait. Like maybe sometime they come one day or next two days. I don't know. But mm-hmm. that's all he said. That was the only hope that we had. Wow. And um, he gave us some bars and some drinks. Just, to be honest, up to now, I'm still very thankful to this guy because they mm-hmm. were very polite. They were very professional. They were very, they were very good people, actually. Mm-hmm. They were very nice to us. And 
up to now, when I think of it, like how nice they were, because they gave us like bars and kind of care. And awesome, they said like if you, in case you really need help, then mm-hmm. we're gonna help if we if some wow. people are here. Anyways, mm-hmm. then he left, and then mm-hmm. we felt alone again. I was like, yeah. fuck, I, I I felt like at least I'm human because when mm-hmm. you're away from society, oh, it just feels serious. isolated. You start to feel like like an alien kind of thing. It's weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that was like, I felt like some human connection, but then we see the boat come again. It's like, fuck. <laughs> and so uh, after that, we were like, okay, now we just, I guess we're going to wait. Uh-huh. We didn't know what to do. Like we didn't know anything. So we climb up back to the mountains and we start climbing back. And it's yet already, was like already like 4 p.m. something. And the night's coming, so we're like, man, we now we have to find a place to stay. And suddenly, we heard another another motor somewhere. It should sound like. Sorry, it's just getting crazy. And the words like, holy shit! There's somebody. Okay, at least there's somebody around coming. Uh-huh. We got so excited again. We're so excited. <laughs> and then from far away, we saw this white truck with a bunch of gas on the back. And then we were like, oh my God, we felt so grateful and happy that there was some humans around. Like, that is the only, our only chance. And it was like around four. So we, I was far away still. Like we could see the car far away. So we had to walk about two hours, I think, mm-hmm. because it's like, it's a big land. It looks like it's close, but it's not that close. Like you have to jump, go down, up again, the mountains. Mm-hmm. And anyways, so. We got to the plot to these guys, and there was only one guy who was waiting there. Uh, and then, uh, he said, well, we came to this guy and, uh, we asked him, like, we, we kind of were desperate. So we asked him, like, uh, we're lost. We don't know where we are. Uh, we need a place to, to, if you can just take us back home, blah, blah, blah. And then he said, well, the guy who is the, who is driving, they're fishing. I'm just waiting here because I'm just, I'm just bored. I don't want to, I don't want to go with them. Mm-hmm. But, uh, if you wait here, they might take you. So we waited there for like two, three hours up until they were done. And now it's like already 7 p.m., almost like night is falling. Mm-hmm. And when the guys came out, then we told them like, uh, if we could, they give us a ride, blah, blah, blah. And, and then they asked questions like, what, how did you guys got here anyways? Like, what brought you here? And mm-hmm. then we're like, we just want to go to the border, man. Like, well, that's all we want to do. And he, he, they were really nice people as well. They gave us food. Mm-hmm. They gave us drinks. They were very, very nice people. And they were like, oh man, what the fuck? That's shitty. They, the, the person who was supposed to take you, they left you, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Point is, we get back again to the town. Mm-hmm. So they brought us back. Thankfully, I'm, back, I'm very yeah. grateful to this man too. They brought us back. And it was about almost one hour drive to go back to the town. So it was like, that's, I mean, that's the closest town that we were, I guess. So we got to the town and we found a place to stay. And uh, in this place, my dad has his food sore. He didn't want to walk anymore. Mm. He was like, okay, let's, let's just go back home. But there's something in me that said, mm-hmm. no, man. I want to go. I don't want to go back to you Mexico. You have to go. Uh-huh. I don't want to go back. And say, I went somewhere and then I come in. No, fuck no. Wow. That would destroy my ego. So I was like, no. And I told my dad, okay, we have to go now. We have to go. And my dad said, no, there's no way I'm going to go. Like, to look at my feet. My, my mm-hmm. feet is not enough. There's no way. 
And I kind of, I went outside. I remember he was inside the room. There was like a bunch of other guys sleeping there. It was like this very, very small bed. This lady was charging about, I don't know, like 50 pesos or something just for for us to sleep there. There was a bunch of guys there that were going through almost the same things we were going. And I I was talking with my dad and I was saying to him, like, we should just, we we have to try it again, blah, blah. Mm. And he kept saying no. So I could see, like, that was a Mm no-no. So I could see, like, it was a no. And I was like, fuck. So I went outside and I'd sit there. It was nighttime. Everybody went to bed already. It was dark dark at night. I could see the stars so beautiful. And I keep thinking to myself and I thought, should I give up? Mm -hmm. Should I just go back to my normal life and come back to my mom? My mom really wanted me to go back home. Uh-huh. She really wanted, like, she didn't want me to go back to, to go to the United States. But I sat there contemplating and thinking, but what if I make my dreams come true? Like, what if it happened? What mm-hmm. if it was a dream? It was like huge. It was like the huge dreams I ever have in my entire life mm-hmm. to cross the United States. Mm-hmm. You have no idea. I don't think you have an idea or clue what it feels like to, to imagine, for us at least, it was like, a whole new world of possibilities and you know, new right? like yeah for me it was that way yeah. actually it was crazy how it was but anyways I guess coming from Mexico like the from United poor, States from a poor town yes uh-huh. it was like a dream like huge dream like home See? and everything mm-hmm. and I sit there contemplated and thought of no I'm gonna go one way or the other there's no way I'm gonna go back mm-hmm. and I, I, I kind of thought of God at the time. Like, kind of, God was kind of close to me. And I kind of talked to God in a, in a sense, saying that if he can help me to, to just cross the border. Mm-hmm. And that's all I ask. Because I have dreams. Like, I wanted to help my brother. I wanted to to help my mom. I wanted to bring nice things, blah, blah, blah. And so I, that was the fire behind. Part of it was my ego because I didn't want to come back and saying like, oh, he went there and came back like I don't want people to make fun of me mm-hmm. the second was that I want to help my mom mm-hmm. so those two things kind of pushed me to say no fuck no I'm gonna go one way or the other and I'm gonna I don't know what I'm gonna do like mm-hmm. there was part of me I said I don't know what I'm gonna do but I'm gonna cross the board 16 mm-hmm. at the time and so I came back to the room Mm-hmm. And I waited for my dad to mm-hmm. wake up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Again. <laughs> yeah, to wake up in the morning. Uh-huh. So I'm going to convince this guy. I'm going to convince my dad. Uh-huh. And so I told my dad, we're going to go one way or the other. And my dad keeps saying, no, I'm not going to go. Like, I'm not going to go. And there's no way I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. He just keeps saying that. And I said, okay, you go back. I figured out my way how to get there. 16 years old. And I said, I don't know oh what I'm going to do. Uh-huh. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to cross the border one way or the other. And then we met this guy. I don't know if he was listening to this before. Thank you for joining me in this captivating first part of Roberto's story here on Hostel Stories. I hope you were as moved and inspired by Roberto's incredible journey as I was. In the second part, we'll continue our conversation, delving even deeper into his experiences, challenges, and the lessons he's learned along the way. You won't want to miss it. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe to House Stories on your preferred podcast platform so you'll be among the first to hear part two when it's released. Your support means the world to me and your feedback helps me continue to bring you these inspiring narratives. If you have any thoughts, questions or stories of your own to share, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. Remember, Hustle Stories is all about the power of storytelling to connect us across borders and cultures. Join me in the next episode as we continue to unravel the remarkable journey of Roberto as he crossed the US-Mexican border in search of a better life. Until then, stay curious, keep exploring, and never underestimate the power of a single story. Thank you for being a part of the Hostel Stories community. I'll catch you in part two. Bye-bye.